4th of July means the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest on Coney Island in New York. So in addition to Josh being here in the space with me today, we have some big names in the competitive eating space. Mickey is a seven-time champion in the women's division and number one among the women and third overall in the current major league eating rankings. She's back after taking a year off while pregnant. Mickey, you're so you're so cool. And soon we'll be joined by Nick. You guys are a beautifully engaged couple. The best of the best. Nick is also pretty cool. He's a former competitive bodybuilder. He is currently number three among men and fourth overall in the major league eating rankings. So these two are going to be competing together in the hot dog eating competition. And I just think that's such a cute love story, (laughs) Josh. So I'm going to pass it over to you. Well, thank you, Annalise. I really appreciate it. I think it's fun. Here's one on the eve of what should we call it, the Super Bowl of competitive eating. Um, and yeah, Mickey in particular is an absolute star. Uh, I mean, from the hit the ground running as a rookie, won this thing and just did not give up the belt until um, pregnancy. I always hate to say got in the way, but uh, allowed you to take the year off. Um Mickey, how did you do it? I mean, I imagine that most people sort of ease into this thing. Even Joey Chestnut needed three years before he could dethrone um, Kobayashi. How did you just step in and, you know, deliver the boom like that? Oh, thank you. That's a pretty epic intro. Um, I think, you know, the longer I do this, uh, the harder it becomes to deny that some people just have an innate ability. Um, so, I mean, people aren't going to like this answer. So while I do practice, um, and prepare, I think I just had a, a higher baseline, I guess. Um, I enjoyed very, very early success, um, on the amateur level at the amateur level, um, at, on that circuit, if you can call it that one, I did a couple of amateur contests, won them, won them. And then just joining the pros was the next natural progression, I guess. And uh, really quickly, I was, I don't know, I've just been ranked high from the onset. So I think it's just kind of like that pressure to keep that up um, fuels me to do better and better better uh, every time. So you've got these national, this, this innate talent. And yet, from what I understand, I mean, you, you go out, you spend time honing it, that it, it's gone beyond just, this is what I can do when I sit down at the table to, you know, real skill. Can you explain what you've done since you started and what you do every year to prepare for this contest? Um, so, you know, I compete every year at, a, at a, I don't know, about like a dozen, maybe 15 contests in a busy year. So every contest kind of serves as practice, essentially, um, definitely pushes my capacity. But for Nathan's, I'll actually do, uh, you know, a full hot dog practice, if you will, where we cook up like 10 minutes worth of hot dogs. I do that mainly to mainly to bring back my... Um, bring back that muscle memory and uh to you know i don't know re-coordinate my hands because you know the first practice of the year i'm like oh what do i do with my hands i don't know how to do this um but it just really comes back um it's uh yeah it's it's weird how just like it all i almost set myself on cruise control and just my body my mind kind of take over um and while some people who don't understand the sport might find it silly you mentioned to me that you have a pinched nerve in your left hand and, I do, uh, that, yeah. That actually complicates. And can you explain that to to people? I mean, how that actually is a significant injury for a competitive eater? 
So, I mean, thankfully there's no pain, uh, but I, I'm not sure if I, I'm, my, my appointment's not until the 7th, so I don't have a proper diagnosis, but I'm, I'm guessing I pinched a nerve somehow because uh, there was no trauma to it. I it's just, I woke up one morning and uh, I couldn't really move my left hand. I have very, very limited range of motion. So, you know, thankfully, hot dogs being a, a dunking contest, I don't need to pick up a water bottle or a heavy cup because, I, unfortunately, I can't do that with my left hand right now. Um, all, I, all I really use my left hand for is to dunk the buns. Um, so I might still stick with that, but I think it's kind of getting into my head. Like, um, I'm a little bit nervous that my left hand's just not going to cooperate. So I might just do everything with my right hand. Um, so it's, it's not ideal to, to eat with one hand when you're trying to win a competition, but, uh, I, I think I might be more mentally at ease if I'm not questioning, like, how is my left hand going to hold up? Like, if I just assume that it's not going to work and just focus on my good hand, um, I, I might actually do better. So I, I know I have the capacity to hit 50, which is kind of my goal this year. I just, I'm not sure if I'm going to have the speed to do that single-handedly. Mm. Now you had a practice session, what was it, a week ago? I'm trying to remember the day that... Yeah. So, uh... We had a ESPN come out and do some uh, filming for Sports Center. I believe that uh, that segment's airing on Sunday. I'm really excited to see like the behind the scenes, day in the life of the hungry couple type thing. But yeah, we did a full practice. Um, so Nick practiced with me, and uh, I want to say honestly, for me, it went surprisingly well. Probably because I had my my expectations set so low. Um, yeah, I, but if anything, it was just like a, a confidence booster in that like. I, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm still capable. I'm in the running. Cause honestly, when I first injured my, my wrist, I thought I might have to sit out of the competition, you know, for fear of embarrassing myself. Like if I can only eat 20 hot dogs, like why show up? But I really quickly realized that, you know, giving up really wasn't an option. Well, I can't imagine another contest without you. And in fact, uh, talk to George about your coming back. And there was a big fan, George Shea, that's the MC who's been working at this contest since 1981. I think it is. Um, he said, but you know what? I'm not sure it's going to be easy for Mickey. He wasn't talking about what's happening physically or even knew about your the pinched nerve, but he, he wondered psychologically what it's like to have taken a year off and be back in action. Is there any you know, self-doubt creeping in their mind? or um, What do you think about that? I mean, is there any way that a year off may have put you at a disadvantage? <laughs> I mean, I understand how people would be concerned, but I've been back on the circuit um, since, well, it wasn't even two months after giving birth, actually. So uh, just under two months after Max was born, I was in a chicken wing eating competition and I actually beat out Joey Chestnut and Esper. Um, so that was a huge boost of confidence, right? You know, winning my first contest back on the circuit. Um, obviously, it's my first year back at Nathan's and that's a different game. But, you know, what I'm doing is unique in that it's competitive eating, but it's nothing special because, you know, countless women go off to have babies and come back into their respective fields and kick ass. I mean, and then countless people leave for surgery and come back months later and dominate in their industry. So what I'm doing really isn't special. Um, yeah, I, I mean, then you look at like people like Adele, right? I'm no Adele, but she took five years off, had a baby, and she's like better and more celebrated than ever, if that was even possible. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned it was two, two months after uh, the birth of your baby, Max. Does that mean he's on circuit with you? And how has that changed things? Or Yeah, so uh, I started this, you know, I, I was competing solo. 
um, and traveling solo. And then I met Nick and then it became like a couple's thing. And now we have Max and he's been to pretty much every contest with us. So now it's a family thing. Um, so it's just kind of like, it's just grown and it's different um, as our family is kind of grown. And as we talked before, I, I know Nathan's is, is eyeing Max as perhaps, uh, you know, the Joey test of the future, maybe the greatest eater. Oh my gosh. DNA. Almost like I birthed my own competition. <laughs> no, no, I, you know, I hopefully Max just like grows up thinking that we're weird and has no desire to eat competitively. Because um, we want to encourage him to do and be anything that he wants to do or be. But uh, we were, we're kind of saying that bodybuilding and competitive eating are off the table. What if you said, Mom, Dad, I want to go to Nathan's. I, I want to be there and I want to oh. chase the mustard belt. I don't know. How are his grades at this point? How good of a kid is he? Well, I mean, we'll have that conversation then. But I honestly think when you're when you're so closely, when you're in something so deep, you you see like the good, bad, the ugly. And honestly, I, I would probably just be happier seeing Max focus his time and energy on other things. But with that said, like when you're really good at something, it's hard to not take advantage of that. Um, mm -hmm. And if he's passionate about it, I mean, I guess I guess I'll I'll. I'm up for negotiation, but uh, my my dream is that he just loves school the way that I do, or you know, is into fitness the way Nick is. Maybe just finds other pursuits. Right. Speaking of Nick, can you tell us a bit about your relationship and um, how maybe you've impacted each other as you get ready for contests? And just I don't know if you're a source of motivation for each other, but how that works. So um, as far as you know being in a relationship with the top female competitive eater in the world, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that like when I was 17, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? You know, it just kind of is something that came to be. We met, you know, uh, the morning 2018, the morning of the Nathan's hot dog eating contest at the gym, it's kind of fitting for us at five in the morning. And, um, it, people would think like, Oh, is it because she was this or because she's got all these titles and like, you guys see the girl with the fancy eyelashes and then and the tan and the belts and all that stuff on the 4th of July. But the other 364 days a year is that's, you know, the woman who I fell in love with mm -hmm. is, is not, it has nothing to do with her eating ability or any of that stuff. It, it has more and all to do with the person that she is, the mom that she is, you know, stepmom that she is to my kids and, and all that. So it's, um, it's fun though, I will say, and it makes does make it a little bit easier when somebody understands that you're traveling monthly or multiple times a month, or somebody understands what it feels like to have 245 chicken wings in your stomach. Like that's uh that's not something that most people can relate to. So that's um and just to be able to like travel and compete with your best friend. You know, we're our own, we're each other's biggest supporters. And with that said, we're probably each other's closest competitors a lot of times at contests. So it's uh it's motivating, it's exciting, it's fun, it's 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 awesome. In fact, I know you guys have gone head-to-head -head and uh, had some pretty close competitions. Can you tell us, like, who would prevail with sweet corn and, um, you know, who at the hamburger stand is going to win? Oh, okay. So, yeah, it definitely is food to food. You know, we had the sweet corn eating championship earlier this year. I edged her out by two years of corn, so that was very, very close. You know, we've done um, uh, street tacos. She beat me by half a taco in Santa Monica. You know, I beat her by half a bratwurst in Salt Lake City. Uh, but that said, like we did poutine in Toronto and she took me to task and beat me by like four and a half pounds or something like that. Um, you know, and, and when we did spam, I think I beat her by like three cans, two or three cans. So it's it's very much based in the food. If it's pure capacity food, typically she's going to excel a little bit more. If it has like more chewing and maybe a slightly messier contest, 
that's typically something that's going to uh, work more into my strengths. Why is it that someone who might be, you know, so skillful and a you know, master at the hot dogs, you can't put down banana pudding or <laughs> what, what's the difference there? And, and do you know in advance or like, I got to give it a shot and see if, you know, the sweet corn will go down. It's the potassium level. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's probably just um, some, it's, these are all different, you know, it's, so something like a banana pudding, other than the vanilla wafers, if those are going to be on there, it's largely just pick up a spoon, scoop it out of the bowl, and you're. it's going to be what we'd refer to as a pure capacity contest. Who can fit the most in X amount of time? Because most people aren't going to have a tough time swallowing banana pudding. Um, that said, if we're doing wings or hot dogs, there's much more technique that goes into it. Um, you know, with hot dogs, most of us separate two meats. And while we're eating the two hot dogs, we're dunking one of the buns and then dunking one of the buns and grabbing the other meats. And um, somebody like a, you know, like a Joey or a Miki at the top of the hot dog game and they're on their side has become really efficient in their movements. There's no wasted movements. If you watch, there's 10 straight minutes of something, you know, the hot dogs, the buns, there's, there's a lot of basically you won't see wasted motion with me like Miki and Joey or the top ranked ears like myself or Jeff or, or like Pat. With some of the lower numbers, what you'll see is like over the course of 10 minutes, there's just a lot of wasted movements. Um, just things that even in other sports that people try to, you know, crush. You don't you don't want wasted movement in baseball, football, basketball, any of it. And, and ours isn't any different. We just happen to be shoveling hot dogs down our face. So um, there's a level of efficiency at the top end of the game. Where with some foods like a chili, a poutine, a banana pudding, it's just more of a level of can you scoop something into your mouth fast enough and how much can you fit? And Nick, you've talked about uh, all the hardware at the house, uh, the seven uh, mustard belts that Mickey's won, and I imagine there are trophies and plaques and God knows what else. <laughs> um, what, what's that done to you? I don't know if you're, you're humbled or motivated, or what's it like to look at all that hardware? I'm a shell of a man. Josh. No, no, no. Um, so I, um, it's motivating. It's, you know, if it's a contest we did together, it's frustrating. Like, I'm not going to lie, you know, because I want to beat her. If we're doing a contest together, I'm psyched that, you know, the check is coming home, so to speak. But with that said, when her and I compete against each other, I want to win. But, but mainly it's just motivating because her and I, we can relate to what the other one's doing. Um, we know when the other one maybe underperforms and we encourage the other one when they're, they need to perform. So um, seeing that all the belts and seeing the trophies or the, you know, there's a plaque from Las Vegas of Mickey Sudo Day, you know, from back like six, seven years ago or something. And it's motivating to see like, okay, this is what happens when talent meets try. Something pretty special can happen. Um, she has a ton of natural ability and she hones that in to bring to the table basically someone who would be on the Mount Rushmore of what we do. Um, I'm basing what I do off of probably some talent. I don't think everybody could do what we do, but a lot, a lot of try. So mm -hmm. it's what, what can you downshift and really bring to the table um, when you're up against people who are the best in the world? Because now being ranked fourth in the world – just behind her, Jeff and Joey, there's not a lot of wiggle room to keep moving up. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mickey, during our conversations, I got the sense that uh, you told me directly that at some point there really became a, a grind for you that was um, in and out, that it was a job and then maybe lost some of its joy or just fun. And meeting Mick changed it all. I'm going to talk about where you were before you and Mick um, I guess embarked on this this uh, hungry couple adventure, and what happens to your performance and just demeanor and. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, 
I don't know if anything really externally changed. So I can't blame it on, you know, contests or the circuit or anything like that. But I think like, I don't know. I just, I, I think I had a slump where everything just started to feel kind of routine. Um, and I probably just didn't appreciate it in the same way that I do when, you know, everything, when I jumped on the circuit, everything was sparkly and new. Uh, I don't know. And it's just, uh, so I think there's just an element of, of time where, yeah, things became routine. Um, there was a, an element of, um, you know, maybe maybe I just started to see some of the, the negative sides of, of being in kind of a public space. Um, this would have manifested if I had been in a public space, you know, whether it's competitive eating or otherwise, but it's just you know, you start to hear those voices of people saying, you know, she's full of herself or, you know, the belts have gotten to her head and, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and whether those were anonymous comments made online or YouTube trolls or, or whatever it was, um, I think it just started to get to me. It just felt, I, of course, I appreciated the fans, but I think the, the noise of, from the critics just started to sound a little bit louder um, cause I'm, I'm a human being at the end of the day. So when, when people felt like they were making anonymous comments that were pretty cutting, they still affected me. Um, even if these were, you know, people who were nothing to me, who I'd never meet, or I didn't even know, or maybe I had met them and maybe they were nice to my face. I don't know. But, uh, at one point I, those, those just, the noise from them started to overtake, um, you know, like the positive stuff that, um, that was there for me. And, and anyway, for one reason or another, I, I just started to, um, I don't know. I think my, my passion started to wane or I, I wasn't appreciating every event the way that I should have. But uh, this is all me just saying that, you know, when I met Nick, it's almost like it, it breathed new, like fresh air into everything. Um, mm -hmm. it, because he was new on the circuit. So I hate to say it, but like he was meeting like Badlands for the first time, um, you know, and Badlands is great. Um so it's kind of like I got to experience competitive eating for the first time all over again because Nick was new. Nathan's was new for him. All of this, like, um, you know, he wasn't affected by YouTube people criticizing him. Um, so there was that. Um, and also I got to then experience everything with my best friend, which just obviously makes it that much more fun. Um, this is nothing against Michelle Lesko because Michelle Lesko prior to Nick was like my absolute best friend on the circuit. Now Nick is, I guess, tied or you know, we share a kid together, so maybe he's overtaken her, but, you know, Michelle was busy with her own stuff in life, so um, I just had, like, a new, like, basically, I had a best friend and someone new to experience this with all over again, and uh, yeah, I, I think I'm back, so with passion comes, you know, increased focus and dedication and motivation. Um, I feel like I found myself all over again. It's really cool what you've been able to do for each other that it goes well beyond hot dogs, but I mean, just the relationship you have. Um, Nick, you were, you were a competitive bodybuilder and um, Mickey, you're in really good shape too, I know. It's probably sort of a misconception still from people who don't watch the contest that this is for people who are sloppy or overweight or just have not only big appetites, but big bellies. And the truth is, I mean, with you guys being perfect examples that most of these competitive eaters look like athletes, maybe are, are really are athletes. I wonder if you can talk about why that's so. Why is it that someone in terrific shape, maybe smaller, would outpace or 
how to eat someone who's twice the size and you might just assume has a bigger appetite, but when you sit down at a competitive table, it just doesn't happen that way. So um, I think for us, we're what we're doing is we're pushing our body to the absolute limit for six to 12 minutes. You know, I may not be running a, you know, a 40 yard dash or around a football field or a basketball court or what have you. But anybody who thinks what we do is easy, I would gladly invite them out to try, give it a shot and come get paid thousands of dollars on the 4th of July. Because if it was that easy, I think you'd come do it. But if you're going to downshift and want your body to perform for you, whether that's in a classroom or otherwise, I think basically every study ever done shows a linear correlation to performance and health, whether that's mental performance or particularly physical performance. And what we're doing is physical performance, you know, and there's the level of focus to it. So while there's the easy explanation of what's described as like the fat belt, somebody who's overweight, there's a lot more intra-abdominal pressure for that, the actual organ of the stomach, it can't expand. So that is part of it. You know, for her and I, if we're leaner and in better shape going into a contest, we seem to deal with the flavor fatigue better. Um, if it was a longer form contest, you may have better insulin sensitivity. If you are in better, have a better body composition, you likely do. And it'll tolerate particularly sweets contest better. You also may have more cravings and a higher appetite if you're at or below what's looked at as like your body fat set point in body fat set point theory. So there's a multitude of reasons why, typically speaking, the most of us at the table, while you, it does look like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory after the story. You can get big, tall, round, small, everybody leaving. Um, most of us at the upper tiers of this are in at least average to slightly better than average shape. We do have a um, question from one of our listeners, Toddy. So I'm going to let him come in and um, ask his question as well. So Toddy, you have the floor. You can ask Nick and Mickey your question. Uh, my question is, uh, with 4th of July coming up, it's usually that time of year for the hot dog eating contest. Um, uh, so like, what is your preparation? What, what's, what's, how, how do you prepare for that type of event? So, you know, Mika and I are, are mildly similar. Obviously, we practice together, you know, and things like that, living together. But um, we do have our differences in that, like, she likes to go to the gym, do a bunch of cardio, kind of zone out. She'll do practices, but typically, you know, going, she won't practice with as frequently as I do because she's just looking for rhythm and to kind of get her, her motions back. Where um, with me, my practice started in January. There's probably around a couple of months at least um, coming all the way in. Um but I think some of it is like she's she's the dog at the top of the hill. You know, she's got seven belts and she wants to get that eighth belt and, and continue with this. But um, I'm chasing, you know, one of the best to ever do what we do, if not the best to ever do what we do. So it's figuring out what I can do to continue to up that level so I can do the thing that nobody thinks is possible. Um, you know, and, and we, we function differently. Our bodies are obviously very different, her and I. So uh, while there's the similar, you know, practices and, and things like that, there, there are definitely differences in frequency and, um, and function and, and how we prepare. Uh, yeah, um, I guess to that, I'd just add that, um, yeah, Nick's chasing a ghost and Joe is the best to do what we do. But uh, Nathan's is the only competition where men and women compete separately. The rest of the year, I'm a uh, Competing alongside Joey, alongside Esper, and alongside Nick. So I have the same motivation, uh, just that it shows in our practices in a different way. I think uh, Nick's, uh, Nick improves more with practice, and I'm much more affected 
by preparation. And for me, that's, uh, you know, like going in and honestly, physically and mentally a good place. Um, I, I hate to say that, like, I hate to admit really that I think that part of this is just an innate talent. Um, and I, so as much as I'd like to give credit to my own, um, hard work, it's more like my ability that I was, I guess, quote unquote, blessed with. So some people have a good singing voice and an ear for music. Some people are just geniuses at like mental math. Some people, uh, I mean, are built for just running fast. Um, I think I, I physically have an advantage or some sort of innate ability. Um, so for me, it's not so much a practice, uh, which I will do for just coordination sake. But yeah, for me, it's, it's a lot more, uh, our preparations look a little bit different in that regard. I am learning so much about this, and I really appreciate both of you taking the time. Um, we'll, we won't keep you too much longer, but we do have another uh, question. Sure. So I'm going to add Aaron in and let him ask uh, his question once he's connected. Mickey and Nick, what is up? It's good to see you guys. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> good. Um, with Nathan's being pretty much like the Super Bowl of competitive eating events, there's so much buildup, so much excitement. Of course, barring the results, when it's all over, how do you guys feel? Is it is it like a sense of relief or is there like anticipation just to get back to another competition? I mean, there's a huge, I think a lot of that's dependent on how you performed or how you placed. So, uh, you know, for me, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to win on Monday, but it's, uh, I'm looking at how did I, like, what does my number say? Like, did I hit a personal best, um, this, that, and the other? And obviously Nick's going to be setting to hit a personal best and, you know, beating out everyone else. Um, so when you come off a competition, you've performed well, it's almost like that adrenaline carries over and, and negates any of the physical effects that you might be feeling, um, at least in that moment. And then I, I personally like to relax for a couple hours in like a cool, quiet room. Um, and it takes me about like, if I'm going to be in a bathing suit, I probably want like a full week to like snap back. So like that's my recovery timeline. Yeah. So for me, post-contest, it's like, um, it, 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 like she said, it depends on how the contest goes. Um, Miki is much better at good, better, and different moving on from the contest than I am. Um, where I, after a contest, if it didn't go how I wanted it to go exactly, I will not be thrilled. <laughs> um, for a period of time uh, or I should say if I didn't perform how I thought I should I shouldn't say the results because you really just like when I was bodybuilding you can't control who shows up and what they do you can only control what you do so if on Monday I'm going to go out I'm going to put up a personal best and my body should perform to the best of its ability um, and I feel like there wasn't anything more I could have done there wasn't one more thing I could have done then to an extent the results are almost almost Oh, hi, buddy. Um, Whoa. So with that said, I tried to, um, tried to ignore the you know, discomfort and have you and just kind of move on. And, um, and you're definitely motivated for the next contest. I don't know if I'm more motivated if I do well or if I do poorly, though. Um, so it's, uh, hopefully, you know, everything just goes well on Monday and I'm super motivated to, to hit the contest in late July. How did you guys meet? So you both were in this space and you met through competitive eating, but what's the story behind that? I've been sitting here like wondering, did they meet at a competition? Did they run into each other? How did this happen? She adored me from afar. No, um, in all seriousness, 
I, it was the morning of the 2018 Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Um, and I was, I went down to the gym at the hotel where they put us up and I was training, uh, the morning of the contest and she was down there. And normally Miki around Nathan's time is semi antisocial, uh, not in like a rude way, but more so in a look, this is business kind of way. Uh, but she was trying to be social. So she came up and she's like, Hey, you're competing, right? Now, mind you, this is my first time at the contest, and she's a four-time champion at this point. So I'm like, um, yeah. She's like, do you mind if I take a picture with you? I'm like, okie dokie. So, she, yeah, so she did. Um, and we, we, we touched base a couple times after that. or just kind of ran into each other. And then I put together a team of 10 people, the 107-pound burger in Clinton, New Jersey, in November of that year. Uh, she was part of that team. And, you know, other than that, we really didn't talk too, too much until June of the following year. Um, we had a mutual friend who told us like, hey, you guys should talk. I think you'd be a great fit for each other. But neither of us were looking for a relationship. So we said no about umpteen times. And then finally, um, we, we gave in and we started talking and realized like we're a really good fit. We're an amazing fit um, beyond just the eating and the ridiculousness and the travel and all that stuff. It's like, wow, you like the same things I do. You have the same, you know, life motivations. You have the same passions. Um, and you kind of, you fall in love with the person, you know, that's away from the table. Not, like I said, not not the eyelashes and the tan and the belts and, and all that stuff. You, you meet the person that's, you know, sitting in a pair of sweatpants on a Tuesday afternoon watching Yellowstone reruns. You know, those the, that's kind of the kind of couple we are. Is there's a lot of relaxing with the traveling and um, kind of crazy. Now it's spiraling to the point where I'm holding my my little buddy here who turns a year on July 8th, and I'm engaged to the top-ranked female leader in the world. Miki, do you have anything to add to this, like, cute little love story? I need y'all to write a book. I love this. Uh, no, I needed, I needed to jump back on and make sure that, uh, he wasn't fabricating any stories about, you know, me falling in love with his pretzel eating abilities. I love this. I love this so much. No, I love him despite all of that. Um, no, but it's really fun. You know, it's just like, I get to do this with my best friend now. And, uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, he's a good guy and he's great with the kids. People see him as like, they can be very intense and, the truth of the matter is he's actually the much more generous, um, the nicer one of us, at least, you know, to other competitors. And, you know, like he's the person where contest day, he'll pick you up from the airport or he'll share your, his hot water with you. I am much less inclined to do so. Um, yeah. Nick's nice to fall and people don't think of him that way. Um, and the same with the kids, like he has this like rough exterior, but he's so incredibly kind and hands-on and fun um, with the kids, he'll sing like the Little Mermaid or whatever, dress up as unicorns, and I don't know. He's just a good guy. Mickey and Nick, thank you so much for coming to chat about all these cool stuff. I've learned so much, as Emily said. I've learned so much. Um, Josh, thank you for your great questions. I love how this is a family affair. affair. We can hear the kiddos in the back. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Max wanted to just say hi. Hello, I thought he was trying to do that. Hello, Max. I love that it's a family affair. So fun. And I'm sure they're so excited to watch you guys compete on the 4th of July. But thank you so much for taking the time to come chat with our audience. Josh, I know we have another special guest in the crowd, if you'd like to introduce him. George Shea, um, who is a historic figure 
uh, with the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest. Um, I think you've been there since 1981 and uh, largely responsible for transforming this from something uh, rather small to a spectacle. One thing I wanted to say is, you know, the the Mick and, and Nick and Mickey have been such a fantastic, uh, you know, ambassadors for the sport. And seeing, I saw Max today is absolutely a beautiful little boy. And, you know, genetically predisposed to being a great competitive eater. He was ranked number 42 in the womb, and he is currently the mashed banana eating champion of, of Tampa Bay, Florida at only 11 months. <laughs> so, so it was great to see them. They've been, they've been more than fantastic uh, for, our, for our whole franchise, but I mean, just for everybody, for viewers, et cetera. George, can you tell me more about, you know, your tenure with the contest and what's happened since you took over? This all came out of uh, the Nathan's contest. I started representing Nathan's with a with a different PR firm, the first PR firm I worked in, in uh, 1988. And then I took over the contest in 91 and, and it grew. I grew it and then uh, started my own firm in 97. And then we started a national circuit for Nathan's at that time. And then soon afterward, um, we established, my brother Richard and I and, and our partner Dave Bear established the uh, International Federation of Competitive Eating, which now goes by Major League Eating. And, and we just began doing um, contests all over the nation. And so it sort of, it just sort of grew organically. There was never a business plan. There was never a plan. And it was just, we, we did what we thought was interesting and funny. Um, and it just grew and grew and grew. And then eventually ESPN came on board and the 4th of July has become, you know, much more of an institution now. But it, it, it certainly was not, you know, in 1988. I'm just curious. I mean, where did your, I, I think everyone has a story about the first time that they watched the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Um, what is your backstory? I mean, where did your love for this come from? Well, you know, it's funny. I was working, I wanted to be a novelist. I went to school for, you know, like an English major and I wanted to be a writer. And I just thought that, you know, I was working in this great PR firm that, really small, old school press agents, right? And crazy, crazy, crazy stuff all over the map. Um, and one of the things we did was this. This was one of the smallest things, right? But it just was very Coney Island. You could do what you want. You could say what you want. And then when I took over the contest, I began doing the introductions. And then that became an outlet for me. And I really enjoyed doing the introductions. And then slowly, I was never into performance or, or theater or anything. And then slowly the sort of the whole hosting performance of it became very interesting to me and I enjoy it. And so the, the, this all was driven out of that sort of, there's this enormous sense of absurdity and Coney Island lighthearted fun. And then it, it became much more of a sport when Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut came and certainly when Mickey and Nick are involved. But at the beginning, it was much more of a lark um, and, it, and it was just about fun. And now you have really what is an amazing athletic performance. But when, it, when we started, it wasn't quite like that. Joey told me that when he started calling himself an athlete, that's when he started to really stretch things and uh, you know, push the record higher and higher. Um, when he started to treat it as a serious sport, not just a lark. And uh, I'm curious, today you got your first look at these guys um, during the weigh-in, from what I understand. And first look at Joey. Um, as you know, in December, he suffered a compound fracture of his right leg. Uh, more recently, he suffered a 
an injury to his tendon, which kept him from running. He runs, I guess, pretty regularly to, to uh, prepare for the contest. Um, in addition to that, he's grieving the loss of his mother who died on June 16th. How do you think all of it's going to affect his performance? Is he vulnerable this year? You know, it's it's very interesting. I don't think it could help but impact his performance. And And if you look at last year, the weather conditions were just perfect. It was like 74 degrees, zero um, humidity. It was just it was just a glorious day. It was, it was not a typical July 4 day. It was not hot, not humid. Um, and the year before, we were in air conditioning because it was COVID. Those were his two most recent record years. So I would say that barring anything, I think it would be hard for him to repeat um, the 76 number as, as a record. And then you throw in these other issues, which I think would potentially impact his training. Um, so I think, you know, the over-under, someone in Vegas called me just yesterday, a radio station, and they said the, the over-under was at 73 and a half. I thought that was actually probably pretty accurate. But with that said, even, first of all, he's a fearsome competitor. He just, nothing stops him. So I, I'm not saying, oh, Joey's out of it. I, on the contrary, you just never know. He just, he's a warrior. Um, but I, I think that even if he were to drop down, the delta between him and number two um, is so great that there's a, a, a huge buffer, a huge buffer. So I don't, I don't see him losing, but you never know. And Nick has been performing amazingly well. Jeffrey Esper, amazingly well. You have Pat Bertoletti coming out of retirement. He used to be a 55-plus kind of hot dog guy. And, and I saw him in D.C. at a qualifier. He knocked out 40 in just breezed out 40. So so you never know. Right. There's a lot has changed since this since this one. But in 2015, the Matt Stoney got him, got Joey, and beat him by a couple of hot dogs. I think it was 62 to 60. So he's not unbeatable. And um, although Matt's not going to be there this year, you know, Kobayashi is nowhere to be seen. Um, is there anyone out there other than the two you mentioned who might have a shot? I mean, is it like, is there a, is there a wonderkin somewhere? Is there someone on the horizon or someone from the qualifier who's who's got a shot to to surprise him? I think, you know, you you it's a good you you mentioned Matt Stoney, and it's and it's funny because I said at the time there is no human who can beat Joey Chestnut. The only <laughs> the only force that can beat him is love, right? He had a broken heart. And um he had, you know, his his he and his fiance had parted ways and it was very difficult for him. Um so, but I do, I do agree with you that, you know, no one can be champion forever. He, I, he, he's no signs of stopping. He's an amazing champion, amazing, amazing guy, great ambassador for our sport as well. But I, I do think that if it were to happen, it would be Jeffrey Esper, um, Nick Wary, or, or Pat Bertoletti. That's what, that's what I think. And, you know, you, you, when you talk about Mickey Sudo, her, her personal best is 48 and a half she could break the 50 mark right i mean she would be right there in a in a in a head on head with with the rest of those with the rest of those guys but you know look he would have to have a very significant um off day and someone else would have to have a very significant you know sort of performance increase an increase of their performance in order to beat him what about the popularity of the uh, the female eaters who mentioned mickey and there was a time where they were uh, bunched in with the men. Um, I can't remember the year. You, of course, know about when when the women's division was separate, and and it will be again this year. But 
what kind of interest has there been in just the women's competition and those personalities? You know, very, really powerful interest. And, you know, I think what really blows people away is they see someone like Mickey, who's actually a beautiful woman, very elegant um, and very genteel and, 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 you know, sort of just great presence. But then she gets at the table and knocks down 48, you know, and, (laughs) and I think, I think it just blows people away. It reminds me very much when I first started doing this, not when I first started doing it, it was 94, 95. We had a huge competitor, Ed Crotchy, you know, 280, 6'6", you know, a real Bluto type, right? And, you know, a, a, a D's, Dems, and Do's kind of guy from New York, but a great, he was a great guy. He still is. And, um, and he was the champion. He was beaten by a five foot four inch Japanese uh, eater, Hirofumi Nakajima, who, who only weighed like 130 pounds. Mm. And it just blew people away. And it's that kind of like, it's not, you know, like I would not expect this kind of thing. And I think that's what you get with the women. You know, Michelle Lesko, champion of the world, 32 hot dogs and buns last year. She's 110 pounds. She weighed in today at 108. Um, she's tiny. And I think that is part of it. And, and I think that was some of the appeal and some of the amazement that Kobayashi produced because he was he was relative to a guy like Joey. He was quite small. Um, mm-hmm. But he also had enormous star power like Joey and, and like Mickey as well and, and, and a lot of the eaters. You know who was there today? We're going to induct into the at, the, at the weigh-in today, we're going to induct into the Hall of Fame Tim Eater X Janice. And he always had an oh, wow. enormous presence. He was a great guy, a great eater. He was in the 50-plus club. Like he was a 55 kind of hot dog mark guy. Oh, that's neat. Um, they're all gunning for the $20,000 payout. Uh, the winner of the men's competition, the winner of the uh, women's, and yet they're also gunning for the mustard belt, um, which is awarded to the uh, the champion. I hear there's a fun story behind the mustard belt. and wonder if you could sort of give us some insight into how this whole thing materialized. Well, you know, there's a, it's a very interesting story, and, and I will word it carefully. I am a PR man at, at heart, right? <laughs> So in 93, we, the belt came back to America after a two-decade uh, hiatus. It was lost in Japan. It had been won two decades before, and it was returned to the United States. Now, a cynic would say my buddy Kevin Pierce made a belt out of a weight belt and painted it yellow on the, on the floor <laughs> of our apartment, right? But that's, that's a cynic. I'm not cynical. And, and, you know, the belt came back. We got a massive story that the belt was back in the post. And then it got picked up by AP and it went international. And then the Japanese saw that they had lost the belt and they sent three eaters and they won the belt back. And that was Nakajima. So it's like everything we did was was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's because it makes your head spin, right? And then and then that launched a decade-long rivalry with Japan that concluded, um, you know, it was more than a decade, probably two decades, that concluded with Kobayashi's final defeat in 09. The last two years, you were forced to move the contest to uh, alternate locations. And one year, didn't even have fans. And this year, you're headed back to uh, Surfer and Stillwell Avenues, from what I understand. Is there something magical about that spot? And I just wonder what the mood is like knowing we're going back home again. I mean, it's it is literally going back home, and and I I do this rap with Badlands Booker. Let me be clear, I cannot rap, but I nonetheless <laughs> rap with Badlands Booker, 
And we're doing um, the rap this year is back on the block, right? We're back on the block. And it is very important. And I've spent um, since 88, as I said, every 4th of July at Coney Island. And it's an enormously important part of my life. And it's my favorite day of the year. I really enjoy it. Um, So for me, just personally, it's very, very powerful. And you have a, you know, for me, I see everything through the perspective of the host. So when you're at the 4th, when you're at the uh, Coney Island uh, on the corner of Surf and Stillwell, the audience is right there, right? You can see you're, there's a direct connection and it's very, very, um, it, it creates enormous energy. It's very powerful, that connection. And that was not present last year and certainly mm. not the year before. So for me, that thrill of like you make a joke or you say something or you go really big and grand and then the audience is with you, that there's nothing more palpable um, than that. And that really, for me, only happens at the 4th of July when it's at Coney Island on the on that surf and Stillwell corner. Mm. Can't wait to watch it again this year. Congratulations on all your success. And thank you for joining us so much. Thank Look you, George. Great stuff. Thank you so much for having me.